Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the death. Why, hello, and welcome to episode 240 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the second episode of July 2018, and our Daikaiju discussion for the newest installment in the Godzilla anime trilogy Godzilla, City on the Edge of Battle. As usual, we do have some music to go along with the discussion of this film, so we're going to kick things off with the main title track by Takeyuki Hitori. Once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. This month, we take a closer look at the second film in this anime trilogy, Gojira Kesen Kido Zoshoku Toshi, which terribly translates to The City Mechanized for the Final Battle, which was released theatrically in Japan on May 18th, 2018. It was pushed to Netflix on July 18th, and because of that, we have made Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle our Daikaiju discussion for this month. For the record, my only complaint with this film being brought to Netflix is that I feel like they are not giving this release and the other releases the respect it deserves. Both of them were relatively sprung on us. In fact, people online who correctly guessed the drop date for this one on Netflix... My hat is off to you. That still doesn't make Netflix less culpable in their lack of information. They had an opportunity to generate some serious buzz for these movies, and one like myself wonders why they just won't freaking announce the release dates. If only to help the Kaiju cast schedule Daikaiju discussion episodes. Come on, Netflix. You can do better. Let's talk about who made this. We're looking at the same team. Jen Uroboshi was the writer. Kobun Shizuno was directing. The special effects direction was done by Hiroyuki Seshida, and it was produced by Takashi Yoshikawa. I can only assume that this team basically created everything all at once, and I also assume that like reshoots and rewrites aren't something that really happen with an animated film once the animation has really started. 
So taking that into consideration, I would actually love to know someday how the creative team would tackle something like a trilogy, especially in this format, this 3D CGI cartoon look. Is the whole film basically done and it's getting tweaked for like another four months? What is the deal there? Japan will be welcoming the third chapter in this story in its theaters in November of this year. So I assume that January of 2019 is when we'll see the final film come to Netflix. I am going to do my best to nutshell this movie for you guys. In our last anime film, The Last Remnants of Humanity returned to Earth, but due to a miscalculation, they arrive 20,000 years after evacuating, only to discover that Godzilla has not only survived, but he has also somehow fused with the planet himself, infiltrating the DNA of like everything, hence the name of the film Monster Planet. After attacking Godzilla with their flawless battle plan, the King of the Monsters explodes into a billion pieces, but as the humans rejoice in killing the Big G, another Godzilla erupts from the ground, wiping out the entire landing party. Or so we thought. This new film literally picks up where the last left off, but showing it from the perspective of the ship in orbit, the Aratrum, manned by the humans and aliens who were not part of the Godzilla assault team. Thinking that their team is dead, and realizing that Godzilla is actively a threat to them, even in orbit, the Aratrum crew gives themselves 48 hours to find the team before calling off any intents on becoming Earthbound. On Earth, a native girl who saved Haruog is startled by him waking up and runs away. He chases her, eventually running into some of his other teammates, most notably for our tale, Yuko Tani, who we met in the last film. Now, the natives are called the Hotua, and the humans are taken to their village where they share their prophecy with us. There are two twins who have identical markings, and there's a theory that they might have some sort of insectoid features or heredity. Yes, that's right. All signs are pointing to Mothra, right? I mean, we assume. After inspecting the Hotua's weapons, the Bila Saludo aliens are ecstatic to find that the arrowheads are made from nanometal. The same sentient or near sentient, I can't really tell, material that Mechagodzilla, their Mechagodzilla, was built from. If you tuned into the last film and the discussion, you might remember that before Mechagodzilla could even be activated, the facility was utterly destroyed by Godzilla. Now, in the 20,000 years since they escaped to the stars, the nanometal left on Earth has been evolving and growing and hiding itself away from Godzilla throughout the centuries. And as it grew, it sort of turned itself into a large complex that emits a gas into the surrounding atmosphere, which camouflages it from the King of the Monsters. And literally, it is a Mechagodzilla city. They say that over and over again. Mechagodzilla city. Now, with this newfound reunification between the Bila Saludo and their weapon, they come up with a plan. What's that plan? Well, it's essentially the exact same plan they used in the first film, but amplified 300%. The bigger Godzilla requires a bigger trap and bigger weapons, but the Bila Saludo are confident in Mechagodzilla's ability to defeat the beast. Replacing the Type 43 Aviation Scout hoverbikes from the first film are Bila Saludo tech exosuit things called vultures. Now, both Haruo Sasaki and Yukotani, together with a Bila Saludo named Balube, are proficient at piloting these mechs. Despite being in charge, Haruo is doubting his worthiness to lead the attack. 
He basically gives the whole group a big anti-pep talk, lets some of them take off and head back up to the Aratrum. Later, Haruo and Yuko share an intimate moment, establishing the two as a couple. Ain't it sweet? While preparing for the mission slash battle trap, some of the humans notice that the Bela Saludo are fusing with the city, essentially giving their lives to the mission in order to boost the powers of Mechagodzilla. The city stops producing the camouflage gas in favor of fortifying its defenses, and Godzilla Earth immediately notices. He lumbers towards the city, just close enough. Alarms blare in Mechagodzilla City as our heroes realize Godzilla is charging his devastating particle breath. The defenses kick in, which includes this super cool metal dust that refracts and deflects Godzilla's blast away from the city and into the mountains surrounding the city. It's a pretty impressive scene in the movie. As Godzilla continues his approach, the trap is sprung and humanity appears to have the upper hand because the plan is totally working. For some reason, maybe some Godzilla reason, the EMP harpoon that should have blown Godzilla into a billion pieces has just like frozen him in some sort of gigantic electro-magma coma. Kind of like when Shin Godzilla would enter rest mode. Anyway, Godzilla's not chilling. In fact, he is hot, like super hot. He's literally creating a superheated bubble around him that's preventing anyone from attacking, and it's melting the city around him. Any projectiles would instantly melt, and the city itself is actually getting too hot for humans to even be in. And once again, the Bela Saludo have the answer. It's time for everyone to fuse with Mechagodzilla City. The humans decide they don't really like this modification to the plan and hightail it out of the city. Haruo and Yuko, however, are still working with Belube on stopping Godzilla. They're in their vultures when the nanometal begins the assimilation process. Haruo is immune to it for some reason, probably because the Mothra fairies, who are not necessarily the Mothra fairies, put some sort of like Mothra dust on him. We have yet to see if that's exactly the reason. But Yuko, unfortunately, is not immune to it. She tries to stop the process, ends up, like, breaching her vulture and starts careening down in towards the Earth. Haruo actually ignores the battle, grabs Yuko's vulture, and then, in a uh, baffling move, attacks Mechagodzilla City, like, one of the control pods of Mechagodzilla City. And I guess Belube, uh, in his effort to try and catch Haruo, gets too hot and dies and then crashes into that same control pod. And this big explosion then goes off and wakes Godzilla from his coma. Way to go, guys. And then, because Toho can't stop going back to the hit idea as well, a molten-looking, almost burning Godzilla generates a massive energy pulse that frees him from his nanometal prison. And in just two particle blasts, Godzilla lays waste to Mechagodzilla City. Or at least the neighborhood of the city where he was trapped. Now with Mechagodzilla sinking into the earth and the ragtag group of humans cowering in a cave, Godzilla roars triumphantly. Nearby, Haruo discovers that Yuko has died from the assimilation process, and he cries out to the heavens. Cue the credits. There is a post-credit stinger. Anyone who's seen the teaser poster for the next film already knows the next villain will be Ghidra. Or will it? We don't actually know because you thought Mechagodzilla was going to be in this movie, folks. But he wasn't. 
There is some serious world building happening here, and specifically the world we need to know about, the monster planet. We finally get to see some more of the Bilisaludo and their relationship to Mechagodzilla. Honestly, they're nuts and I kind of love it. We do see more of the Exif holding their religious talks, but specifically, there is a little subplot about Metfees trying to fix an ancient Exif item. We also learn about who or possibly what the Hotua are, aside from being like healers and creepers. And so all of these new things are strung together between this familiar connective tissue that made Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle seem an awful lot like Godzilla Monster Planet. Hopefully you didn't think that the keyword there was awful. Let's do this, Gretchen. Let's do this. Let's daikaiju discussion this Yo-kai. anime film. Yokai! Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. How did you like Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle? I liked it. Okay. I, I thought it drug a little bit, but not as bad as the first time. The first film drug quite a bit and had kind of lengthy battle scenes, but this one... The battle scenes were limited and there was a lot more character development as far as I'm actually interested because they kind of minimize the cast by killing off quite a few characters they did they they minimized the cast and they really propelled the story forward i thought yeah and yeah. the the little people on the planet and but yeah the it added people. a layer of mystery to sure. the to the whole story we're still looking for that uh the hidden meanings there but you know we have our assumptions obviously are we gonna we're not spoiling for people no, we can spoil for this. The okay. spoiler warning will go off before this discussion happens. All right. Spoil uh, away. Well, so for me, I think I liked this one better than the first one. Yeah. But still, I wish these were more exciting. I wish they were better animated. <laughs> I wish many things for these. <laughs> I uh, wish Godzilla wasn't an amoeba. <laughs> yeah. You wish that he would actually do something? Yeah. Have some personality? You know, right. these are, unfortunately, these are sort of the... How would I say I this? know this is not top of the barrel animation at this point. True. Not top of the barrel. Definitely. I mean, this is sort of a standard, though. It has become, I've noticed, definitely a turn in anime in general that there's a lot of, a lot of anime has this kind of CGI effect to it. So, hang on. Last time, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, no. Last time we talked about this, Clancy and Tiger were on the other side of this table. Yeah. Neither one of them, including myself, so none of us at the table... We're anime fans. How much anime do you watch? I watched a good chunk. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I have some favorites. I mean, obviously, anybody who knows me knows I like Evangelion. Okay. It's one of my favorites. So, like, you are a a much better judge of the animation than the three of us were in the last episode. So, I'm kind of curious. I guess if that gives me any authority, then yeah. (laughs) So far, you are the the expert amongst the Kaiju cast (laughs) co-hosts. 
because we are not experts just in general. Like, so, you know, right. this, I'm not saying you're like the art anime girl. <laughs> I'm just saying if you would like to share your input on well. what you, how you feel about the anime in this film, specifically compared to what you see in other anime and films and television, I would say. So recently, I Rachel and I saw the movie Monkey or Monquia. Mm-hmm. That animation was outstanding. Okay. So I it it makes me frustrated when I go see things that I'm expecting. Like I mean, Godzilla especially, I would figure would be like the royal class like treatment of anime. I'm a little disappointed. Okay. I feel like it's. Yeah, now are you disappointed? What's that? Sorry, were you disappointed because it's not hand drawn, or are you disappointed just because I feel it's it was really lax. It was really lax on it. Okay, like there things that had definition could have had more definition if they were going to do such a CGI effect, but I feel like they also drug with like the humanity of like the uncanny valley of the way that characters interacted. Sure. Like the 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 janky motions that they made were too draggy in a lot of ways. Yeah. One of my complaints about the film, yeah. the last film, was that I felt like it was good enough to trick me for just a little bit, but then I would almost immediately get jerked back into that uncanny valley and say, "Oh, yeah. this just looks like I'm watching a glorified version of reboot," which is so so rude of me to say. It's because that's not exactly how it's I feel. It's not quite that bad. But I just mean it's so. It's such a jump that it takes me out of what I'm watching, and I hate that in a in a movie. You know, I want to be able to immerse myself and get, you know, s- suspend my disbelief, sure. get all into the film, uh, even if it's a bad film. I I'm really good at getting into a bad film. <laughs> I mean, totally. I mean, we watched Death Kappa. Just saying. I need to try that again. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, uh, overall. I mean, I will, we'll get to our final thoughts later, of course, but yeah. you know, just, I think my initial, initial reaction, I watched this, this is the second time I watched it. Same for same, you. Same time. Yeah. yeah. So I would say, well, you know, it is what it is. It's entertaining. Um, if you have some time on your hands, <laughs> because uh. they're such lengthy, like, how to put like lapses of, of action? Of action. Yes, yes. They do build the world quite a bit in this. Yes, and they, they do. D- they definitely add to the story, propel it forward. And I really do like where they took the story. I think that's sort of what I would say is, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and jump to my thing. I would say that is my favorite aspect of this film is that we go from sort of the boring introduction movie of the last you that was know, all the character building, blah, 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 blah. Which blah. was fine and everything, but like even the, the battle sequence, I didn't really find that interesting in the last film. Right. This film had at least several exciting scenes. It did. And Godzilla the story was kind of cool looking. Yeah. Like when he would. Do exactly. Some, yeah. Well, I mean, lots of stuff was cool about this movie, but like my favorite part was just that we are finally moving forward with the story. Mm-hmm. You could encapsulate the general story of the first movie just by saying humans leave Earth to escape Godzilla. They come back. Godzilla's massive. They defeat him. Oh, no, they didn't defeat him. And well, no. there, that's the end. Cliffhanger. He's you know? the Earth Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Earth Godzilla. So uh, <laughs> this new movie, though, <laughs> I felt had a different it had a beat to it you know and you know 
it had it was still kind of boring. Yeah. But it really did have a lot more going for it that I enjoyed. What was your favorite part of Godzilla City on the Edge of oh, Battle? Oh man. I really love the Mothra people. I love them. They're beautiful. They're pretty cool. I like the fact that they have a telepathic language, that kind of thing. I was like, oh, it's the twins. Definitely. It's all the things that point towards Mothra. And at first, when I first saw this film, I misinterpreted what was said at the end of the film and had mistaken and thought that there was something else happening with the Mothra people. But turns out <laughs> they are the Mothra people. At this point, we are assuming those are the Mothra people. I mean, people. they worship the egg. Come on. They have insectoid DNA. They look there. The color marking is is very the little feathery things in the front of their head. There's so many hallmarks. They're telepathic. Exactly. We got this. I think the cosmos are here. So yes, basically, uh, I love that they're they're there. Actually, really cute. Now is that that's your favorite part of the movie? Well, my favorite part, I guess, would be probably was his um, array of weapons, Godzilla's array, or they keep calling him they or it. Because it is completely amorphous and has no personality, it seems like. So yeah, <laughs> it's Godzilla. It's neither masculine nor feminine. It has, it's Earth Godzilla. It's just Earth Godzilla. It. I mean, but it has a really cool powering up when the um they hit it with the EMP harpoons. Yeah, yeah, that I mean, was well, pretty rad. Okay, that's actually one of the issues that I took w- with the film is yeah. that it's it seems like for the most part it's the same formula plot. As the previous film. Totally. We're going to do the, ex- and they even say it, we're going to do the exact same thing on a bigger scale, you know? And <laughs> <laughs> that's, and that's the first honestly, time failed. That is what I think is one of the faults of like, um, The Force Awakens with that, the seventh Star Wars movie. It's like, we're going to do the same thing they did in the previous trilogy in the chronology of the films. And we're going to have a gigantic Death Star. It's going to be bigger than the Death Star. It's an entire planet. And just, I don't know. <laughs> to me, that whole thing where everything's getting bigger. Do we need to have like the biggest Godzilla in every Godzilla movie? That's what I can't understand is like why we keep having to make him bigger and bigger and bigger. It's this huge like, one-upmanship. It's ridiculous. This is what they He's say about like world wars. We can't have world wars because of this one-upmanship. <laughs> why are we doing this, America and Japan? All right, I'm going to calm so down. 300,000 <laughs> meters. Is that how big they said he was? That first one that shows up is 50 meters tall, and then they destroy him, and that's the next one is 300 meters tall. 318 meters, apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Who knows how big the next the next incarnation and whatever happens there. But they're not explaining it as being like an evolution or anything like that. It's just being that it's Par- recreating itself. It's part of the planet. It's part of the planet. Godzilla has become but so the planet. But so is Megagodzilla. True. There's a I mean, weird city. There's a weird there's a weird relationship there. Uh what I wanted to mention real quick was that Godzilla Earth is actually Godzilla and the Earth together, right? So that's why we're calling it Godzilla Earth. Like I, they're one in the same. I don't know. And then so now <laughs> does that mean Godzilla what I was calling Planet of Monsters? Maybe I can't remember what what I actually deemed as the official name, but now I would understand why it's actually called Monster Planet yeah. as opposed to Planet of the Monsters. Okay, because there are all those Godzilla um, like ninety two percent matches or whatever. Yeah, everything is is basically Godzilla. So that's <laughs> oh, I told you it's an amoeba. Just yeah, saying. Yeah, 
It's one extended life form. Yeah. Godzilla is but Borg. But yet, Mechagodzilla was able to coexist on it by because it was recreating that cloud that covered it. But it, yeah, because Mechagodzilla was in hiding, essentially. Yeah, I mean, like you could call that Mechagodzilla because only a name. Hey, man, that's <laughs> what they're calling it. <laughs> Because I looked around, name only. please somebody else or somebody else saw this. I looked Me around know. for anything that like kind of read as like Mechagodzilla, like coloration or anything that was. Gretchen, have you seen the, the figure? The Mechagodzilla figure? <laughs> yes. It really looks like it could be kind of Mechagodzilla. <laughs> and so when this movie ended, I was like, where's Mechagodzilla? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I try to love these movies. I try to give them such a wide I just knew I knew my amount heart. of space and I <laughs> You know, I guess one thing I would say I can't ignore the fact that I complain that Toho uses the same things over and over again. They totally do. I should say that I wasn't expecting them to use Mechagodzilla in this way. This was I okay, yes. So the two big plot twists being that the um, religious aliens have a beat on King Ghidorah, mm-hmm. which makes sense because he's the devil and sure, they're, they're religious space. and whatever. Okay. I'm, I'm down with that. I understand. King Ghidorah is the destroyer of worlds. It makes right. total sense that, that he would be, you know, right. they would have that sort of understanding of who he is. That he is the devil, I guess. Yeah, because in the first movie, I feel like Metfis actually says something like, our planets were destroyed by something similar to Godzilla. Something like that. I think he says something like that. And then the Billa Saludo are the ones with Mechagodzilla. Right. And this They were the ones that were like nanometal that were letting themselves be overtaken by it and were confused at humanities, the humans not wanting to join. (laughs) Who do you like better, the Billa Saludo or the uh, Exifs? Exifs, I guess. Okay. Just because of they have that like slightly Swedish look. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, they I give really you a whole Euro, <laughs> Euro like, trash vibe. They're totally Euro trash. <laughs> I'm just like because I I mean I love King Ghidorah, so Sure, sure. Well they apparently have some connection. Yes, you're right. Uh I think honestly, this movie it just kind of it's better than the first movie, but I just am not getting what I want from an anime film. It's it's not fluid enough. Um as far as it's really it's really hangy. Like it it gets caught up too much and I mean I wanted I I wanted to know more about the the ASIF what's it called? Uh, the EXIF, yeah. The EXIF. I wanted to know more about them. I wanted to understand them more but it's like unfortunately those scenes get kind of buried in like long uh dispositions between characters that are I'm talking militaristic talk and I get kind of, "Eh, okay. Sure. Yeah. That was, I think one of the issues I had with the last film. Yeah. You know, we watched it both dubbed and subtitled. I Mm -hmm. think because the first time I watched it subbed, I was like, wow, this is just a lot to process. And if I'm trying to understand what they're actually, what these words mean, if they're not just like sci-fi tech babble, you know, that, which it could be. (laughs) Atrophophos. Or trophophos. The trophophophos. And I'm like, what is that? (laughs) Anyway, so uh, let's go ahead and talk. Like, what else did you not like about this film? Oh, I mean, I just, I, there's just a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of things. Just like those small, the things I've already talked about, really. Mm -hmm. There's things I loved and thought were really nice. Okay. So how about another question for you? 
let's talk in hypotheticals. Let's say, let's say this movie concludes with the next film and Toho says, you know, we weren't dissatisfied with making an anime film, but we'd like input from the fans on which kind of direction we should go in. Mm. Like, I think we would both agree we'd love to see a hand animated. Oh, yeah. Kaiju epic. Yeah. I would love to see something like where they just forget about the humans and do something like on Monster Island. I want the monsters interact. Like, I don't mind not knowing their How language. About monsters? Right. I want monsters. Right. <laughs> Plural. We not- might get to see a battle between King Ghidorah and Mothra and Godzilla. If it's anything like this movie, huh? we won't. <laughs> Oh, no, they're all gonna somehow they're gonna fight because you know, like with the with the moth people. I tell you what, I'm gonna say it right now with the podcast. If we don't actually see oh, a Mothra, see a King Ghidra, and even see that crazy Mechagodzilla design <laughs> in this third film, I don't know what to do. Wait, what if like the um Bilobos or whatever they're called? Bilosaludos. Bilosaludos. What if they're like when, the, when they become absorbed by the meta, like meta metal or whatever, mm-hmm. maybe they become Mecha Godzilla. <gasps> I mean, I think essentially what we're getting set up for here is Bela Saludo aliens controlling Mecha Godzilla. Sure. XF controlling King Ghidra. Not that the, you know, Mothra people are controlling Mothra, but they're definitely they would be like this sort of avatars yeah. of Mothra or vice versa. And then. Humanity is going to have to just sort of like couple themselves somehow to Godzilla. I don't know. Some big battle. They got to get rid of Godzilla. I mean, but <laughs> will that destroy the planet Earth? But will they get rid of Godzilla? I, I highly doubt they're going to get rid of Godzilla. It seems. 300 meters. <laughs> it seems like he somehow outsmarts all of their plans. <laughs> you know? It just happens. He just. It just happens. But he just seems so animalistic. I, and some people might like that. Hey, I, I dig an animalistic Godzilla. The one from GMK had like, if well, he was a little but evil he had too. Personality. He had, it was a little evil. I get that. I get that. But he was much more animalistic. How about the one from 84, 1984 Godzilla from, you know, Godzilla 1985, aka Return of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Very animalistic, very little personality. A lot of people said he was sleepy. Well, that's just because the, <laughs> the eyelids. The eyelid suit. <laughs> well, you know, you could also say, like, this guy, this uh, Grandpa Godzilla that we're watching here in the anime film is also sleepy. He has his, like, okay, so one of my biggest, oh, sound. There we go. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I had some drama design. with the sound the whole time through the movie. So I know that this is scored by Takeyuki Hattori. And we were super glad to see that. Unfortunately, this is kind of a miss as far as I have to feel. So the soundtrack specifically is what you're talking about right now. And then the yeah. sound effects. The sound effects. Godzilla's roar that is like becomes like digital garbage. Mm-hmm. Not a fan of that. Just I don't like the I, I would like to, to, can we just keep some of the things that make like sure, even yeah, in yeah. Shin Godzilla, like they kept Godzilla's voice more Closer to the original sound. Yes. This had had barely any elements of it. I feel like if you It's because were, it's so big and we can't our ears couldn't possibly like comprehend it. Well, I'm wondering if like when they had that distortion, where was the camera position at that particular point in time where you heard the distortion? Was it inside somebody's helmet or inside one right. of the ships? Or was it just out like it is a roving flying camera in the field. Right. I just, I would question that. But at the same time, 
I don't really want to fire that up again just to see what the deal is there. <laughs> I tried to get him to rewind something earlier, like, and he was like, no. No. <laughs> it's like, she goes, yeah, you got to rewind it for that. I go, no, no. <laughs> that's not worth it. <laughs> I like the film, but there, it's got a lot of problems, you know? And it does. One of the problems is that the movie finishes and... The monster that I felt like we were promised we were going to see in the second film didn't show up except as a city. Yeah. And he didn't transform like I was kind of hoping he was going to. I needed more Godzilla and that mega Godzilla. Dude, (laughs) I'm serious. When I saw he was a city, the first thing I thought of was, oh, cool. Maybe it'll be kind of like the Transformers (gasps) who have that city. Like Galvatron. No, the Transformers city. Not Galvatron. I thought. Well, maybe this is going to be like a Metroplex kind of guy where yeah. he, the city literally is going to just transform into a gigantic <laughs> Mecha Godzilla to fight against the gigantic Godzilla. Maybe but we'll still have no. that. Well, I don't know. we could potentially. I don't know. I didn't. I know that this movie actually kind of ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> Watch past the weeping. Yes. Character. Watch past the credits. Like, yeah. watch through the credits. You'll see the stinger at the end. Which is kind of a long st- long stinger. It was. Long stinger. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, overall, I know this is the middle part of a three-part story. I'm not going to have high hopes for the third. Is there fourth parts? It's just supposed to be three. Three. Okay. So, I'm not have high hopes for the third, but they've got a lot to wrap up. Like, we need to see Metroplex. <laughs> <laughs> Metroplexa Godzilla. <laughs> and we need to see Godzilla. Sure, sure. And we need to see Mothra. Uh-huh. And we need to see King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah. Yes, we need to see them. And I'm hoping that we don't get robbed from uh, from seeing those monsters in the next film, which is supposed to come out in November. Really? Really. In Japan? In Japan. So that means we'll get it around Christmas time? Here is what people think right now. We're at a two-month delay. Delay. Okay, so maybe we'll get it for New Year's. Last year, the movie premiered in Japan in November, and two months later, January, like on the dot, we got it on Netflix. Oh, sweet. Okay. So we're at about a two-month delay. So I think we can attempt to synchronize our Kaiju Core watches by this, and uh, in a couple of months, we will definitely be talking. Or not Wait, sync no. them. <laughs> Why not? Why wouldn't we sync them? Because, like, I mean, is everybody really excited for the third part? <laughs> You're not really excited for the third part? Negative. Negative. That is a negative, Ghost Rider. <laughs> we are not psyched. I want to be psyched. Me too. Okay, so what I was going to say before, if someone said, we want to do another Godzilla series, another anime Godzilla series, where would you like to see that go? Ooh. Aside from just the hand-drawn thing, which we sort of got off on a tangent about. Yeah, we did. <laughs> um... I would like to have a better story. Okay. If we're going to have these human, meta-human, ultra-human kind of other characters. I'm talking about completely blowing it up, right? Would you set it in current modern times? Would you set it in the future? Would you do a past story? I would love to see a modern Godzilla. I mean, I know we had that with Shin, but I'd like to see an an anime version. Mm. Like how we would react to that. Would you like to see an anime sequel specifically to Shin Godzilla? I don't know. Okay. So you're against a Shin specific well, sequel, Well, because people are so focused on the tail monsters. and I'm... I think you kind of have to be if well... you're going to do a direct sequel to Shin Godzilla. 
But I, yeah, I was just like the. Mm-hmm. Oh, how about how see they that just part? they just magically crumbled away and right? it became Godzilla again. Yeah. Okay, so I have thought long and hard about what I want in a Godzilla anime ever since we saw Mazinger Z Infinity. Right. Okay. So here is my suggestion. I'm throwing it out there because sometimes, sometimes Toho will borrow ideas from people. Mm-hmm. Dear Toho, please borrow this. Feel free to borrow this idea. The next anime series should be hand animated. They should be vignettes, like an anthology. Oh yeah, that like- take place in between the actual chronological history of the Godzilla series. Yeah, but that's so inconsistent, right? But you can build bridges. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. So, like, basically, you could tell a story that takes place in between 1964's Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster Mm -hmm. and Astro Monster. Okay. You know, from 1965. Just a little story in between there. Something that has to do with a monster. You know, just something to help build flesh out. What if they were, like, short, like, um, how, uh, like, Kaiju Girls is? Or Yamishibai? Well, okay, so I would say I'm not against a kaiju girls kind of thing. Where well, it's no, like, I mean, like, but in vignette like that, how it's like, well, this season's been more full arcing story, but prior to that, it was like small story. Like five minutes. Five yeah, minute three things, minutes. Right? Yeah. I mean, we got that kind of in, in Godzilla Island. Sure. And eh, <laughs> I would rather see it. I would rather see like an hour long show or how long is Attack on Titan? Oh, it's like 23 minutes. I would like to see that. I would like to see basically a 23-minute episode. Sure. Where a monster attacks and then the Earth has to figure out what to do. Like real fast. Okay. You know, there's a there's a Godzilla defense force. You know what I mean? There's a, the UNGCC there's has their stuff ready. Sure. Whatever. There's a nerve. <laughs> but I'm saying this is an opportunity. This Toho, let me tell you, this is an opportunity for you right here to make a ton of money. Woo! No, uh, I just think it would be an easy way for them to get into an animation style that would suit what they could do. Like, you remember the animation style from that Kitaro show? Yes. The Graveyard Hakaba? Yes. Kitaro? What a cool animation style. That'd be really cool. Right? For so, Godzilla. like, I would like to see something where you're setting it in the Showa era. You sure. know, in like 19, let's say 1963. 19- and with anime, that's so much cheaper to animate yeah. than versus creating. Exactly. exactly. Well, and like how, I don't know if, how many people have seen the new um, Gege no Kitaro, but the opening sequences are kind of, they do like, they've added like the pops and whistles and the black and white sepia tones mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to kind of make it look old when they do the opening sequence. Yeah. See, I think. Something, there's some good to be made there. Sure, I see what you're talking about now. Like, now I could see that anime. That anime. Oh, see, everything we have for this current anime is all super futuristic. high-tech, futuristic stuff. And I feel like it sort of belays where we know Godzilla. We know Godzilla just, from being a man in a suit. Totally. And, and I think it would behoove Toho to actually try and tap into that as opposed to just trying to do something new and fresh, which I completely understand just something that ties into the old stuff. Well, they do like big hero academia. So they could do the whole, like the science team being created <laughs> to fight. I still need to watch that show. I still yeah. need to watch it. I only watched a little bit of it with you. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Anything else you'd like to say about this anime, about this 
middle of the story in the road of Godzilla anime. <laughs> well, I just hope that it gets better. I mean, yeah. ultimately, as a Godzilla fan, I just want this to succeed and I want it to be good and I want it to be better. I completely agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So while I wouldn't give this movie a great score, uh, as I've said before, I liked it better than the last one. Yeah, same. So we are somewhat looking forward to the conclusion of this anime <laughs> film. We have a lukewarm ambivalence. <laughs> we do, we do. Uh, we did get some homework in from the listeners, oh, cool. and it went a little bit like this. So uh, we're going to start things off with Robert, who says, Edge of Battle's best attribute is its world building. Updates on the monsters are fantastic, like Mechagodzilla growing into a city. It never bothered this reviewer that he didn't activate. The Hotua are great updates on the infant islanders, even if they aren't influential plot-wise. The lack of action scenes makes this reviewer wonder if it's because the filmmakers stated that they struggled adapting the toku look into anime, which they're overthinking, if so. Overall, it's a pretty good time, and he can't wait for Ghidra. Matthew writes in to say he came into this movie with no expectations. He hadn't originally been excited with the revised origins of Godzilla, but the first movie changed his tune quickly so he suspected the same would be true about the second film. Yes, he was highly upset we didn't get the classic rival battle on screen, but what we got instead made sense. Humanoid characterization, an understanding of the world, and after the clear and evident events we witnessed in the flashback in movie one, the battle that we got made perfect sense. Why can't Mechagodzilla have AI that slowly spreads and be molded in such a way? Maybe we didn't get a monster brawl, but we saw perhaps the best of what a proper human response could do against Godzilla Earth, and set the scene for what Matthew hopes to be a perfect end to this wild ride. As Chad was getting ready to watch Godzilla Planet of Monsters, he was so excited to see what monsters would show up. Monsters we haven't seen for years? New monsters? But all we got in Planet of Monsters was a few brief scenes of the Servum and Godzilla. He thought, okay, this is a setup movie for the next two. Surely there will be more kaiju in the next film. Excited to see what the second chapter of the anime would bring, he watched City on the Edge of Battle. The movie started off very interesting, finding out that the humans survived all these years on Earth. But that plot point just seemed to be cast aside quickly. Going back into the wilderness of monsters, we finally see some kaiju. But it's more servum, and they're dispatched very quickly. Then we see a tentacle vine monster. Could it be Biollante? Nope. Missed opportunity, guys. Then they got to Mechagodzilla City, where it felt like most of the movie took place in. Yawn fest. Finally, the big G shows up after an hour of waiting, and it was pretty cool watching the vulture robots fight him. Literally the best part of the movie. Like the first film, this one ends with much to be desired, and no kaiju. Was it necessary to kill off Yuko just as they started to develop her character? Was she related to Haruo? Yeah, maybe that's why they killed her off. Chad feels these movies could have been an awesome monster brawl that we're not getting. Instead, we're getting a so-so story full of anime tropes and subpar animation. He's not a fan of the half-anime, half-CGI. Just pick one or the other. But hey, at least, what it looks like, we get to see Godzilla, Mothra, Mechagodzilla, and Ghidra duke it out again. Yay. Troy benefited greatly going into this movie, having heard spoilers prior to seeing it. Having seen negative reviews about City on the Edge of Battle beforehand, Troy went in with low expectations and came out actually liking the movie all right. Had he gone into this movie with the expectations, 
he had, based on early previews and movie posters, Troy would have really disliked this movie. We had hints and allusions to Mothra, but no Mothra. We had the promise of Mechagodzilla. Instead, we got some weird Mecha City thing that really in no way should ever be described as Mechagodzilla. Look, we all like a good story and hope that the human characters are more than just monster fodder, but this series is really dragging it out painfully. Troy was willing to accept the slowness of the first movie, Monster Planet, as character development, assuming the second and third movie entries would be more monster-packed, but that has not been the case. There was some action in it, and it was good, but all of the other parts dragged on a little too long. Troy might be in the minority here, but he likes the Godzilla Earth design a lot, and that's probably his favorite thing about the movie. Troy would not recommend this to a kaiju newbie, but maybe to an anime fan in hopes of getting him or her interested in kaiju. He'll also say this, the next movie better have a dang Ghidra in it. <laughs> Not a planet that is named Ghidra. Oh my God, that would be rich. <laughs> or an ancient race of people called Ghidra. Or use Ghidra as the symbol of the monster in all of, <laughs> in all of humanity. But a daggum G golly three-headed gold dragon. Come on, people. It's the bottom of the ninth with two strikes and the bases are loaded. Adam says that while Godzilla Planet of the Monsters had lots of setup time, a dull color scheme and static cast, the drama in Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle is more engaging and has a greater variety of color. Characters have a greater emotional range and are a bit more fleshed out, including protagonist Haruo, who is just starting to undergo a change beyond his we-must-kill-Godzilla mentality that frankly made him stale the first time around. More world-building is brought in and is pretty interesting, particularly the Hotua culture, and the further look into the aliens' views and backstories. There's also a conflict that happens between the characters that shifts the dynamic of their campaign, which Adam found engaging. There are fascinating themes at play here, with elements of evolution, religion, individualism, nature versus technology, and what truly separates man from monster. As for Godzilla, whenever he's on screen, he's still both powerful and intimidating, not to mention pulls a couple of unexpected moves. Sadly... Weighty flaws hurt part two. First off, the film repeats the same basic story beats of part one down to a similar climax. Like before, Godzilla doesn't come around until the climax, so waiting is in order. There's also misleading marketing in that Mechagodzilla, despite all of the advertising, plays no active role. In fact, he's barely seen. Evidently, the filmmakers don't know what they've got on their hands, not taking full advantage of this world they made. Apparently, the prequel novels have way more going on in them. Characters tend to repeat things over and over, and most, Haru aside, don't change much from their starting roles and personalities. Moreover, there's a romantic subplot that doesn't really work, mainly because the relationship between the lovers in question isn't fleshed out. Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle can be best summed up as one step forward and one step back. The new stuff is mostly good, the action is entertaining enough, and there's more going on thematically and drama-wise, but the film's reluctance to go further and instead repeat what was done before, coupled with the absence of substantial character progression, held it back. The after credit scene promises the arrival of a classic Godzilla foe, putting pressure on the final entry of this trilogy to really deliver, which Adam hopes it does. Ryan is still frustrated that we couldn't have had a more satisfying animated Godzilla story. Much like the first part of the Netflix Godzilla animated trilogy, this film was a disappointment. There's an enormous potential for a fantastic Godzilla anime, 
Animation allows for insane monster action that would be too difficult or expensive to pull off in live action. But what we ended up with here is nothing special. The reinterpretation of Godzilla is visually interesting, but the movie should have included more imaginative monster designs and reinterpretations of other classic Toho monsters. The sky is the limit with an animated film. Instead, it's just Godzilla, a broken mecha Godzilla, and some generic bat-like creatures. Ryan says that they have shoehorned Godzilla into a generic, low-quality anime sci-fi story. The characters are not particularly interesting and spout endless technobabble while he imagines what a more interesting Godzilla anime could look like. This second time around, the anime tropes are cranked up and the action does not even live up to the one excellent set piece at the end of the first movie. Mechagodzilla is a plot point, but doesn't really appear. The ending teases Ghidra, which should make for an epic finale, but he's been burned twice now and he's not getting his hopes up for part three. Brian enjoyed this installment of the Godzilla anime series. The positives he has are the art and sound. The plot was relatively straightforward, at least until they got to the city. The human natives are interesting, and he enjoyed the nice tantalizing foreshadow of either Mothra or Rodan with their egg. He's guessing Mothra. The negatives, however, are that motivations seem clouded. Like, how did humanity meet the Bilisaludo and Exif? Why are they fighting alongside of the humans to defeat Godzilla? What's the motivation for trying to reclaim this planet? The ecosystem of a whole planet is tied to Godzilla. What will happen to it if Godzilla is killed? A total collapse? Do they have the technology to terraform it back to a pre-Godzilla state? And as to the nanometal, after 20,000 years, could it have not regenerated Mechagodzilla? But then again, almost any Godzilla movie is enjoyable to Brian. Mike Keller's opinion of City on the Edge of Battle isn't much different than his opinion of Planet of Monsters. He still thinks he needs to see all three acts before he can make a final judgment. He will say that he found the second installment easier to follow. There was not as much that he missed. He went into it knowing that Mechagodzilla wouldn't actually be appearing at all, so that was no surprise. If one takes the point of view that the city now is Mechagodzilla then we indeed did see two monsters fight. Of course, that's a bit like saying, okay, Mike just tried for 10 minutes to think of a radio-friendly analogy involving Jenna Coleman and a pitching arm, but that's about as close as he could manage, so let's just move on. Weirdo. Mike likes how the alien races have developed, but still doesn't think they look alien enough, even if their actions are more distinctive. He likes how the Bilisaludo have been portrayed as somewhat sinister this time around, to the point that Haruo eventually has to choose letting Godzilla live over the culmination of their plan. Mike was taken aback by the scene of Haruo and Yuko macking down. He'd seen a brief shot of it in the previews and was assuming that perhaps he was wrong to think of the two characters as cousins before. Yet, sure enough, that idea was reinforced in this film when they both referred to their grandpa. So either one of them is being... More honorific than literal when talking about their grandfather or their family is really, really close. If Mike doesn't hate Godzilla Earth's design, he will have to say that he finds it disappointing. He thinks the monster may actually have more screen time in this film than the last one. At least the camera rests on him longer and there are fewer whizzing by scenes. They could have done so much better. In fact, Mike will say that the vast majority of the exhibitors at this year's G-Fest Artist Alley could have come up with a more impressive design, but apparently Toho never asked them. Mike will also say that he caught more instances of the animation appearing to be CGI rather than hand-drawn, and not just with Godzilla, but with many of the other characters. 
this was an unwelcome development. As for the next installment, well, we've got a couple of things to mull over. Is Yuko dead? Both Ghidra and Mothra have been hinted at, but will we actually get to see them? Or will it be another instance of how Mechagodzilla was used in this film? Overall, Mike has to say that he finds this series of films frustrating. He thinks they are fine science fiction stories in and of themselves, and he'd probably like them a lot more if they involved original monstrosities. Maybe something akin to Evangelion, but it just doesn't feel like Godzilla. Mike has always wondered what an anime Godzilla would be like, and in a way, he's still wondering. Michael Deke says the second installment of Toho's anime series continues the story of an Earth under Godzilla's rule in more interesting ways. Picking up after the battle with Godzilla Earth in the last film, we're introduced to a race of humanoids that have evolved from insects, which share many characteristics to the infant islanders. And it may be possible that they spawn from Mothra as the twins have similar colorations on their back. Overall, Michael thought the story was a bit simplistic with the main cast of characters doing the same thing they were doing in the last film, with a few new tricks up their sleeves. Things certainly got more interesting once the people were bonding with the nanometal and how the crew started to fight about bonding with it and therefore becoming something more than human or kaiju. This plays a major role when the characters almost kill Godzilla but must bond with the nanometal in order to do so. During the fight when Haruo dive bombs after Yuko who is struggling to get the nanometal off of her, Michael almost got a bit of a Rodan vibe going on with Haruo diving after the love of his life amongst the flames of battle. But the best part of this film was the ending where we get to see what was whispered into Haruo's ear during his discussion with Metvis. Ghidra. Now he doesn't want to sound too cocky as he's probably not the first person to call it, but he did call it during his review for Planet of the Monsters. It looks like Haruo will have to give up his grudge against Godzilla and fight for what is good for the Earth, not just humanity, as Godzilla, in this continuity, is pretty much the Earth himself. Overall, it's not a bad film by far, but Michael just wishes more things could have been done in it. Three out of five stars. Diego says, good day. Easy comment. This movie was better than the first one. Other nice comments. The soundtrack was more noticeable. The first film's score was rather bland, and not much of the soundtrack stood out. He's not going to go back and listen to the first one for a while to check it out. But this film's soundtrack has some nice moments, with some touches of both Heisei and Millennium films. Mechagodzilla being a living city was a nice touch that Diego didn't see coming, and he guesses he'll just have to live with the Ready Player One version of Mechagodzilla for 2018. Part of the improvement of this story was being able to better tell the three races apart, human, Belus Ludo, and Exif. His last comments he'll make is that he would not recommend this to Anubi, and he'll give it two and a half nanometal spear tips out of five. All right. Hey, man, thanks for the creative rating there. I love those, and it seems like people have been slacking on them. And there you have it for our discussion. I guess my bottom line for this film is I sort of at least feel like I understand what's going on here. You know, they're trying to diversify what the Godzilla narrative is, you know, break it down, break it apart, smash the control units, smash the control machines and uh, build it up into something else. And, you know, that's what we're seeing here. And I guess I still kind of applaud them in their efforts. I know it's the second film in the trilogy. This is, I mean, if any film is going to be the Empire Strikes Back of the Godzilla anime series, this has got to be it, right? Is this, wait, is this the best of the three? 
oh man, what if the third film is like Return of the Jedi, but the anime Godzilla version? I'm still trying to look at this objectively. We'll see how the next one goes. Sidebar for any of you guys out there that want to give me a hand. I have not been able to find any mention of the budget of this film or even the real box office results. I don't care if it's like 1 through 12. I'm talking about the actual money earned from both of these films. And then the third one, too. I want to know all of that broken down individually. That is it. That is our Daikaiju discussion for the month of July 2018. Next month, we'll be talking about Godzilla vs. Biollante for sure this time. Uh, that's right. Last last month, there was a little bit of a fake out. I didn't know what was going to happen with this animated film. So next month, Godzilla vs. Biollante. I just watched this again recently. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode in August. And speaking of August, your due date is August 24th. Please have your homework turned in by then. Please use the handy form on the website to send in your homework. Now, if you'll excuse me, there's actually been some rumblings on the internet involving kaiju, and we should probably talk about them. Our world is changing. The mass extinction we feared has already begun, and we are the cause. We are the infection. But like all living organisms, the Earth unleashed a fever to fight this infection. Its original and rightful rulers, the Titans. For thousands of years, these creatures have remained in hiding around the world. And unless all the Titans are found, our planet will perish, and so will we. They are the only guarantee that life will carry on. Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. 
Uh, so we do have a little bit of news for this particular episode. I'm only going to be talking about the stuff that happened at San Diego Comic-Con. We all know that the Godzilla trailer dropped Saturday morning. Oh, man. And, My email blew up. And did it not only drop, it broke the Godzilla fans <laughs> everywhere. Everybody was like super, super jazzed. Yes. And so for me, I really enjoyed the trailer. There, It's not a perfect trailer, but it is a trailer. And I think what the last movie taught us is that a trailer can happen and it can have an effect on people. And then the end result could be nothing at all like what we saw in that trailer. I'm talking specifically about the Oppenheimer quote trailer that we saw a couple of years ago or a few years ago now. I think it was from 2013 where basically it was the sole foom, right? It was like the, oh, it was the, it had the Oppenheimer quote. So yeah, it was like, like everybody falling from the sky. Yes, exactly. And the, oh, it was like, it was going to be awesome. Yeah. And that's what we got for this teaser at Comic-Con. I know. And then we ended up with what happened in 2014. I'm a little afraid. Well, I'm not afraid because my expectations are already at dangerously low levels. Yeah. So for me, if this movie bombs, it's just kind of like, eh, whatever, you know. But if it does well, that's where I'm going to stand up and take note. What I do appreciate, though, is that Legendary is making, trying to really hard to do some interesting things with their marketing. Like, we have some friends that are at San Diego Comic-Con, and they've been mm-hmm. posting on inter- on Facebook, talking about how they were, like, approached by monarch scientists mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and surveyors. And I thought, I was like, that's really cool, because that brings it home. Sure, yeah. And... What I another thing I really appreciate about what they're trying to do is a little bit of a storyline. I'm picking up what they're putting down. Sure. And it's nice to have a little canon to refer to. It freaks people out. <laughs> I get a lot of like I think feedback for, that's been like, huh. Yeah. For me, I think a lot of people are hesitant to grasp any kind of new canon for Godzilla. I'm with you. I'm not a I'm not necessarily in that camp, but I'm not a, outside of that camp I'm either. I'm not opposed to it. You know, I do kind of like that, you know, Godzilla has somewhat kept his nuclear origin yes. up until the legendary film, you know? And so honestly, I, I, it doesn't bother me as much that he doesn't have it anymore, but this whole new thing with the Titans, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. The Titan name. I know. It's a... Sure. Someone we, on... It's someone, close to the Guardian thing, right? I mean... I don't know. Somebody said uh, they postulated that maybe... <laughs> somebody put on Facebook that maybe they were trying to differentiate the monsters in the Godzilla universe from Kaiju, specifically in oh. the Pacific Rim universe. Sure. Sure. Because I don't know. honestly, okay, so outside of the Godzilla like pie graph, people that know the term kaiju know it as Pacific Rim. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it makes sense. So it's really funny because we were like, what is tattooed on your fingers? I'm like, kaiju. They're like, oh, you really like Pacific Rim? I'm like, not that much. <laughs> and that's where it's punch, punch, punch. <laughs> Just kidding. Gretchen would never punch you no, if I you wouldn't. don't know I'm really nice person, the origin of kaiju. Anyway. Just, uh, just to get mad about, um, what is it, Suspiria. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think we can look forward to in the coming months? King Ghidorah! <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, we've seen a poster image, and I'm not yeah. sure if that's like a legit poster image, but basically, it's a pretty good image of the King Ghidorah. Oh, where he's like flaying out his arms? Or uh, from the poster, he's wings. sort of like wrapped around Godzilla. So like, Oh, he's got his I haven't seen that poster. See I'll show it to you before you leave. 
And uh, Mothra looks adorably cuddle, cuddle, cuddleable. He, yeah. I mean, basically, I I saw the wings and I saw a face. We saw the larva face. So we'll see. We'll see how that all goes. I mean, here's the deal. Low expectations. Right. At this point, I'm looking at Legendary going like, the ball's in your court, guys. Prove me wrong. <laughs> Is this their last opportunity to have this franchise? Uh, no, because like, they have Kong. Well, I mean, after Godzilla Kong, versus King Kong. After Godzilla versus King Kong. Oh, absolutely. It? In my professional opinion, mm-hmm. if Legendary wanted to renew the Toho license, Toho would charge them so much mm. that they would be sitting pretty for the next many years. Oh, I see. Because they want the Godzilla license back. Toho they wants to plans. do it. They have their own machinations for it. And so if Legendary was absolutely dead set on it and had the money for it, I'm sure they could do it. But I think that Kong is our last, you know, our last King shot. King Kong versus yeah. Godzilla. I think King Kong versus Godzilla or Godzilla versus King Kong, whatever they're going to call it, is going to be our last shot. 2021 or 22? 2020. 2020. Oh, okay. That's what it's supposed to be. Right in time for the Olympics. If someone doesn't tie in a U.S. versus Japan <laughs> Olympic game to King Kong and Godzilla in 2020. Oh, my gosh. That needs to be somebody's Somebody needs routine. to slap a marketing exec <laughs> up the side of the head. All right. Anyway. We surely diverge from That's okay. Trailer. That's okay. Uh, I think overall, I really liked it. The music was a little weird. He didn't like Claire de la Lune. <laughs> I, I don't know who that is. It's so a, don't be upset compose. with me. It's just the name of the music. <laughs> but the <laughs> that's the name of the track? The, yeah, that's the name of the piece the composer. of music. Okay. No, the composer is a different name. Oh, see, I don't know. Anyway, the deal is I didn't hate the music, but I did want to see it cut to different <laughs> I music. thought it was really funny when Mothra's wings open, and it's like the high score of the... Like the sound of the fountain. <laughs> yeah. But it was weird because they cut it right. Godzilla blasts his beam straight up in the air yeah. and then they cut Godzilla to Mothra's wings. I don't know. I mean, Maybe whatever. It doesn't protecting. matter. It, there's just, it's just pretty stuff to look at. It's That's what a teaser trailer is. And I tell you what, it gave me an idea for what I think the movie might be about. Yeah. But it was just as good as a tease if I didn't want to think about what the movie was well, about. Well, remember that. We didn't we kind of talk about this at Comic Con last year, like when we did Rose City Comic Con. We did. Well, that's what I thought. Yeah, we talked about because they were teasing it way back then with Rodan and King Ghidra. That's true. Yeah, when people were freaking out about Rodan and King Ghidra and Mothra, we've like we've been, been no, we've, we've known, known about that for a long time. Yeah, but this is the first time we've actually seen them. Right. And, and oh yeah, so hands down, the best part about this trailer. Rodan. Wow, right this coming out of that like volcano? This Rodan movie. Yes! Yeah. And Rodan was my first kaiju film ever. Oh, wow. And so I am, like, his silhouette looks like Rodan. Yeah. Like, when they show that shot of just his silhouette flying over the buildings and all the their rooftops are, like, flying away and you just see... Oh, it was cool. I loved it. So... For anybody that's not happy with the trailer, just don't worry. It's just a trailer, man. We'll see how it goes when the actual Fingers movie crossed. comes out. You know, and don't worry. Just because I like a trailer doesn't mean I have to like the freaking movie when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is canon, Kyle. You can't <laughs> change. It is canon. It is canon for me to decide I don't like a legendary <laughs> pictures Godzilla movie or picture at all. So anyway, that's all I really wanted to do is just talk a little bit about that. There are more details I'm hesitant to bring it up because I feel like it's one of those things that if you don't want to know the details, like I currently am right now feeling like that, 
I would say don't watch this because I'm not going to watch it. But I will have a link in the show notes with the spoiler warning that was an extended conversation from, the, I think, the panel. Hmm. So you'll be able to see the panel for Godzilla at San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, cool. And then some extended conversations that were recorded, I believe, just after that panel. So I'll have links in the show notes to all that stuff. And uh, I think that is going to do it for our news. And let's move along to some catastrophic events. If you are in the Houston, Texas area, don't miss Decimate All Kaiju 2 on August 11th from 4 p.m. to 1 a.m. at Misfit Toys in Houston, Texas. This is the second annual Houston Kaiju Art Show and the event known as Decimate All Kaiju created for fans by a fan. It's based on bringing kaiju into the forefront and also just brings the city's fans together to have fun, meet each other, buy and support kaiju and monster artists and toy designers and painters. Some of the artists that will be on hand and displaying their artwork are Matt Frank, Joshua Hoskins, Mike Keller, Kevin Chen. There will be a 90-minute viewing of the Texarkana Gamera. In attendance will be ADV voice actors Kyle Jones, John Swayze, and Jay Hickman. They also will have Vera Icon, a cosplayer there. And Japanese food trucks. Oh, it sounds super awesome. I'll have a link in the show notes to the Decimate All Kaiju 2 Facebook event page. And we are going to go ahead and move along to the next event. From August 17th through the 18th, Creepy Classics and Scary Monsters presents the Monster Bash Movie Marathon and Expo in Canton, Ohio's Grand Palace Theater. I will have a link in the show notes for more information about that. And moving right along from August 25th through the 26th in San Francisco, California, we actually have Bob Johnson here to tell us about Godzilla Night 7. Bob, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, we can actually finally say that Godzilla Night is in San Francisco. Not the region, not the area, but the city itself. So we are moving to San Francisco with the seventh Godzilla night and Godzilla night is now a whole weekend. It's August 25th, 26th. And, uh, we got three films and they're showing both days just in different orders. So depending on if you want to do your own little double features or whatever, you can mix and match. But basically we are showing, uh, Shin Godzilla. We're also showing Mothra the original 1961 Mothra, and King Kong vs. Godzilla, 1962. We don't have any, like, time machine where we went ahead and got the legendary <laughs> one. So <laughs> it's the original King Kong vs. Godzilla. And Very then cool. we have all our uh, our dealers and artists, like uh, Kong's Cave of Collectibles, which is Kevin D'Antonio, and Vinyl Kaiju Legion, which is James Osborne, and then uh, we have our three artists that we've had, Gaz Gretzky, Nick Shev, and Lenny Romero. Nice. And uh, they're going to be selling really cool art. And, you know, Kevin and James have great prizes, uh, prices on all their uh, merchandise. So definitely, I know Kevin's been stocking up on some cool stuff. I'm sure James has too. Uh, we also will be giving away prizes as usual. We'll have food trucks there which is kind of cool. If you don't want to leave the theater, you want to just stay there, you can always run outside of the food trucks. 
That's awesome. Food trucks are always a welcome addition to any event uh, I go and, to. Yeah, the Balboa Theater where we're holding this, uh, they're arranging for some food trucks. And uh, they say they got some crazy ones, like one that does like Japanese hot dogs and stuff. So um, That be. is like perfect for Godzilla night. <laughs> That's right. Go get your Japanese hot dog for Godzilla. Maybe they'll do a Godzilla dog for, uh, for that night. Also, on the bill... We are doing a little tribute to Ishiro Honda. And because we're doing this little tribute to Ishiro Honda, we have Steve Rifle and Ed Godzeski, the authors of Ishiro Honda, uh, Life and Film from Godzilla to Kurosawa. Ed is definitely going to be there on Saturday. I'm hoping Steve will be there both days. If not, he will be there Sunday. We'll get them there as much as possible. So I'll have the, the book for sale and they'll be there to talk about it and introduce films and, and autograph the books for you. And, that is awesome, uh, dude. Yeah, yeah, it should be cool. We got uh, tickets are definitely already on sale. Now the, uh, the Bow Theater where we used to have it in San Leandro had like 600 seats and it's like, ah, you know, we can just show up at the door and grab tickets and go on in. Uh, the Balboa has like 225 and we have an overflow theater that they'll open up if we go over that. But uh, we've been getting a lot of reactions to this thing throughout San Francisco. So I would definitely suggest get your tickets early because, uh, you know, when last time we were in San Francisco, we did Godzilla Fest at the Castro Theater. Right. And it was like Saturday night. And we had Mothra and Tokyo SOS. With Hiroshi Koizumi and uh, Jerry Ito as guests, and we had 950 people in the theater. Wow! 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 So you know, we definitely can't fit 950 th- people in the Balboa Theater. But being that seating is limited, that's just your warning to uh, grab your tickets early. Yeah, you can buy them online. You can get them through BayAreaFilmEvents.com. Yeah, let's go to BayAreaFilmEvents.com. We have a show page uh, on there. We have uh, links to Saturday tickets and Sunday tickets, and uh, that will take you right to the Balboa page, where not only can you buy tickets, but you can buy tickets at face value, so they don't charge service fees and handling fees and all the other crap. Wow, that's awesome. So, you know, same price. So if you're thinking that you'll wait till you get there to buy tickets and save money, you're not going to save any money. (laughs) But buying them early, you're going to save a seat for yourself, so... Definitely uh, get in there and buy those tickets. Fantastic, man. Well, thanks for coming on and talking about Godzilla Night 7. What else do you have going on with you? Well, you know, we're still doing Sci-Fi Japan, and that's uh, going strong, mainly thanks to the uh, Herculean efforts of Keith Aiken. And uh, we've got some cool articles and things coming up for that. And then I'm also dabbling in podcasts now. Um, I had a couple guy, a couple people talk me into a podcast. So we're doing planet eight podcasts, which can be found at planet eight podcast.blogspot.com. We've gotten about you know, six episodes out. I think our seventh is coming out on August 8th. So we do two per month and, uh, August 8th will be an interview with Ray and Gail Orwig, who wrote a book called, uh, where monsters walked which covers California locations where films were shot films anywhere from 1925 up to 1965. 
it's all the classic, you know, them invasion of the body snatchers, all those kind of films. They've covered them all. I was a teenage werewolf, everything, anything that was shot in California during those years, they've got, uh, the locations and everything in this book. It's really a pretty amazing book. Even if you got it just to like stick in a backpack and take with you if you're in California so you can, let's see, where am I at? Let me see if there's anything in, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever shot here, you know. That's but, awesome, uh, dude. But it's very cool. And then we'll have a second uh, episode in August with a uh, local horror host, Lord Bloodraw. And we're covering everything you want to know about the universal monsters. So there's that big universal monster all encompassing Blu-ray set coming out at the end of the month. So uh, we'll be talking universal monsters. Right on. Well, if that sounds like your cup of tea, listeners, head on over to planetatepodcast.blogspot.com or you can find us on uh, Facebook at Planetate Podcast. Fantastic, Bob. Thank you so much, man. It's great having you on, albeit brief. Oh, yeah. No, it's been a blast. So everybody, come on out and say hi at Godzilla Nights, plural, and uh, <laughs> we'll have a blast. So there you have it. I just recently kind of realized that I should announce this on the show. If you know of or are organizing any kaiju-related catastrophic events in your area, please reach out to us. We would be super happy to help spread the word to other people about your events. Uh, last but not least, in terms of catastrophic events, I have recently been alerted to a cool opportunity for anybody who likes traveling to Japan and is interested in autographs. There is a cool trip happening fairly soon, actually. It's happening at the end of September, and I've been contacted about this tour. If you are interested in knowing more about the tour, I can give you all sorts of information off the podcast, but just shoot me an email controller at kaijucast.com and I will let you know what's going on. Uh, that is going to do it for this particular episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks to everybody who submitted their homework and Gretchen for showing up. And honestly, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maybe I should like make cookies to get people to come over for this last film. I'm pretty sure that when the last film happens, I will do my best to marathon the films in one go. I won't do that right before we record, because I think that would be really rude to my co-hosts. But I'm going to do that. That's my goal. Next month, we will be bringing you all of the interviews that I did at G-Fest 25 earlier this month. I'm really looking forward to that, because it's going to be both audio podcasts and YouTube videos made from those. So be sure to keep an eye on the YouTube page if you want to see Kimpichiro Satsuma being awesome on stage. It definitely requires, no, it doesn't require, but it definitely helps to have that visual added bonus. Anyway, I'm going to kill it off with XAI's The Sky Falls from Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle. See you next month. Jamata. <laughs>
I'm not 